Welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home, the podcast dedicated to helping pet professionals feel less stress and find more joy in their day-to-day lives. And today I am super excited that Kristen Buller, a veterinary social worker, has agreed to come and talk with me today about grief. Thank you, Kristen. Thanks for being here today. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. So veterinary social work, that's kind of a new field. Tell us a little bit about what that is and what that means. Yeah. So veterinary social work is about as social workers or clinicians supporting the humans in the human-animal bond. And so there's advanced training we can get as social workers through University of Tennessee in this field. And so I have a certificate in veterinary social work that I got kind of post-master's. And there's several components of veterinary social work. Grief and loss is a big part of that. Compassion fatigue, conflict management is a big part of that. Animal-assisted therapy and that is another big component. And then also the link between violence against animals and violence against humans is another area. So it's a very broad field, even within, yeah, kind of the uniqueness of it. Yes. And all of those are very much needed, mm-hmm. all, yeah. all elements of that, because yeah. I think that we're only just touching the surface of how some of those connections and how they affect us and how they permeate many areas of our lives, even when we're thinking that they won't. And so, so we're going to talk today about grief. And I think that's true of grief too. We would all love to avoid grief. Yeah. We, we cannot avoid grief, but we all desperately would love to just skip that stage. Yes. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. So why is it something that we so desperately want to avoid? And I think it's, it's so painful. It's something that's really, really difficult to journey through. I think as a culture, we don't have a lot of space for people who are going through grief because it's something we don't want to feel, but also we don't want people we love to be in pain. And part of grief is giving space to the pain. And so that can be a really hard thing to enter into ourselves, but also for the people around us to support. And then when it's related to pet loss, there's even more misunderstanding or yeah, lack of space within our culture, within our family sometimes around that. Yeah. When I was working on my book for families about living with kids and dogs, one of the pieces that that came up frequently was that the death of a pet could be much more painful than the death of a grandparent or someone yes. because they are a part of your day-to-day life. They are a part of what normal looks like. They're a part of what coming home from the grocery store looks like. Yeah. And you may have adored spending time with your grandparent, but that was a special novel event. Yeah. And so you weren't feeling that pain every single day yes. when you walk through the door and the dog didn't greet you or the cat yeah. wasn't sitting at the couch beside you or whatever yeah. those pieces are. Yeah. There's an intimacy of the connection we have with our animals and is different than what we have with any other human in our life, especially those that don't live in our household. And I Mm -hmm. think there's also something about that we have that connection with a creature that is not a human, but that we are able to bond with and communicate with and live life with. And I think then there's the caregiving part of it where we're also caring for this being that depends on us for their well-being and also gives us so much in return, but a lot around making those final decisions that's on us in a way that it's not with any of our human family in the same, in the same enormity. Yeah. And, and that is all joyfully given and a heavy weight to bear at times. Yes. So let's talk about the effects 
on human behavior when we're experiencing grief? I mean, I think what I hear most often, and I do a lot of especially pet loss related grief work, is that it just, it knocks people down. It bowls people over. It, it blindsides people with how intense they feel. And it can almost be scary of how all-consuming it is. I hear people talk about, I never knew I could cry this much. I didn't know I could wail like this. I didn't know I could make these kinds of sounds. And I think because we don't have a lot of space where we hear people talk about their grief experience, we don't have a lot of reference points of how normal that is. Yeah. Which I think is why going to pet loss support groups can be such a helpful experience because you hear other people who are saying the exact same things from their own experience that resonate and can normalize it in a way too. But I think especially that initial, like the immediate grief can have an intensity that really comes to then just basic self-care, like finding soft places to land, literally hydrating, <laughs> like when you're crying that much, you know, <laughs> finding kind of what feels like the softness you need to have around you through that. Yeah. And that can be hard to do. Yeah. It can be hard to give ourselves permission to yes. feel what we're feeling or to, yeah. to recognize that we're just like not fully present in our brains or our yeah. bodies during yeah. this time. Yeah. Cool. And I think for ourselves, there's a lot of self-judgment I hear from people of a lot of the kind of, I shouldn't either, I, maybe I shouldn't be feeling this way, or I should be feeling something different than I am. Or even externally, we give so much time for someone to grieve. And then we have this social pressure of getting back to something. It's just not the way grief is and how we experience it. And so you have to kind of like fight for your space at a time when you just need to be given the space, <laughs> which is exhausting in itself too. It is. It is. So what happens if we just, you know, slap a Band-Aid on it and dive back in? Like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't, I don't need that space. What is likely to occur? I mean, the thing about feelings is like, they're still there. Like, even if we try to cover them up, they're going to come out one way or another. And so I think it's that balance of trying to find ways to move into the emotions and give them space and find what you need to feel like you're tending to yourself. While at the same time, there's this model within grief work called the dual process model, which is this idea of moving into the pain and into the sadness and finding ways through that at the same time of giving yourself space for integrating into what does life look like now and some respite and some if you find yourself stepping out of the grief, letting that be a restorative self-care experience so that you can go yes. back into the grief and that that's not the same thing as not honoring it or not mm -hmm. feeling it every single second. If you need to kind of give yourself space to watch, watch a bad TV show where like for 27 minutes you don't cry. And then as soon as the credits start rolling, you might, the tears are back, but some of that just letting your body kind of recalibrate a little bit too. But sometimes people can feel like either if they, if they distract themselves from the grief or even if they start to feel the pain less intensely as they move through grief, there can be a guilt and a sadness about that, that if they're not feeling the pain, they're not honoring who they've lost. And I think that pain and sadness and love can all be tangled together. 
and eventually the pain can soften, but the love and the bond doesn't end. And so I think that's part of, yeah, what kind of moving through it can end up looking like. Yeah, it can be a tough thing where, where thoughts and images and memories that are so painful in the early period of grieving then become treasured mm-hmm. things to, to, to pull out and examine later where, yeah. you know, where before, you know, the smell of cinnamon could just make you sob because it reminded you yeah. of someone. And then yeah. after time, you're like, oh, I love the smell of cinnamon yeah. because it reminds me of yeah. or whatever these connections are. And that, yeah. that transition is not smooth yeah. <laughs> and it's not measurable yeah. and it comes and goes. Yeah. But it, it does seem for most people to wind up there where it's a, yeah. a place of honoring the love, honoring yes. what had been and, and the gifts that came from that. Yeah. Even though the hard part of getting through that is so yucky. <laughs> and I think comes and goes is such a good image. I have a lot of people who talk about, you know, the waves of grief mm-hmm. and that there's not, it's the grief experience isn't linear and especially time linear and a lot of it is there's those memories that will surface or something will happen or oftentimes the first of anything so the first holiday the first season change the first time you've done something since the loss and especially with our pets there's so many firsts like it can just I think that's why it can feel so overwhelming if it's the first time you come home from a trip the first time you come home from work. And because we've done so many of those things so many times with them, the first isn't the last time you feel the wave either. But it kind of lets it feel a little more, I just want to say in some ways, like predictable pain where it's like, okay, if I know this is how it feels when I come home, what are the ways I can create softness and understanding and care for myself as I'm walking through my door every evening or as I'm getting up in the morning and 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 those ways will differ for each person, but are there some strategies that you suggest people start with? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is to, I also say like trust your heart more than your head. And so just knowing of whatever feels like it feels right is what is right for you. And the thing I hear most often is the disclaimer of this sounds crazy, but <laughs> this is what I'm doing, which I think is also why the groups are so helpful because you'll have someone else who's like, oh, either me too, or this is what I'm doing. And so a lot of times it can be around either like turning something that was into, was a daily routine with your pet into a ritual or a memory honoring way. So either in the mornings doing something in your morning routine that honors what you would have done with your pet in the morning, either saying something to them or putting a treat out for them or sitting, if you have a memorial or a shrine, you know, kind of the same thing with the evening. If there's something that you can do that kind of creates space for their memory, that mm-hmm. can be helpful. And I think also a lot of not doing something until you feel like you want to do it. So a lot of times that'll be around what to do with belongings or what to do with remains or ashes. And if there's any question of, I just, I'm not sure yet, then you don't have to do anything and you never have to do, there's no right or wrong, but kind of trusting your own inner compass. Cause it is so individual. Like what is soothing for one person might be the like most distressing and the flip is true too. And so just a lot of space for yourself. And I think that can be all, maybe the trickiest when you're in a family system 
or with a partner and you're both grieving the same creature that you love so much, but have really different right. needs. And so sometimes it's helpful to have a space where you can talk that through together of how to honor what the other person needs, but also not push someone farther than what they feel like is where they're at. Yeah, that's definitely true that, that different people grieving the same loss. Yeah. It isn't actually the same loss because yes. it was a unique relationship for each of them and each yeah. of them has their own ways of coping Yes, um, that it, it can bump up with the, how can you do that? How can you think yeah. that? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So for pet professionals, I think that this adds additional wrinkles because of course, these are people who are very, very bonded to the animals in their lives, but they also, when working with a client, can sort of feel with the client yeah. some of these thoughts and feelings and, and grief yeah. in a way that someone who is more detached from animals and the connection that people have with them mm -hmm. might not understand. So that the pet professionals wind around wind up carrying not only their own losses, but those of other people too. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they're connected to the animals in their care. Yeah. So they're not only caring for the people caring for their animals, but they have cared for those animals sometimes for years and years and through really difficult illnesses. And yeah. So what strategies do you suggest to help us, mm -hmm. <laughs> all of us the pet professionals out here who, who would like to still be there very much for our clients, but not, carry it mm, mm -hmm. yeah. to help but not absorb. Yeah. I mean, I think of when I think of the piece of how to kind of be there with the pet owner as they're going through their grief process, if there can be a lot of space for validating their emotional experience, kind of pri providing support and validating just the difficulties and the complexities of the decision-making process that that person is in and trying to help them have whatever experience feels the most meaningful for them around those end of life mm -hmm. decisions. I think that that is maybe the biggest thing I hear from like the pet owner side of what felt, I don't even want to say positive is the wrong word, but made it like a softer experience is when they felt like the professionals that were with right there with them through the experience and honoring the difficulties and the pain. And so I think in terms of being able to give that out, also knowing that if you're a pet professional, you get to be the pet professional and there are people like me who can then carry the other piece of the emotional part for clients. So having like referrals and kind of knowing within your area, either veterinary social workers or pet loss counselors or pet Lost support groups that oftentimes a lot of people reach out to me because it was their veterinarian office or dog trainer who said, Hey, and I know someone who could talk with you more about that, which I think some people worry about how do you refer someone to a counselor and all the stigma around mental health. But I think with pet loss, there's a different sense of this is a real thing. There are people who are trained to help support you through this. I'm here. This is my role to support your pet and you through this part of the process, but I know it's bigger than what's happening in this room and it's gonna stick with you longer than the time we have to be together. So let me give you other supports. And if that can kind of lessen the load of what, as pet professionals, you have to carry or hold for people. I like the way you said that 
I'm trying to see if I can recap it because I thought it was really, it was really thoughtful and nuanced, you know, that, that the person is providing all of the support they can in the role for which they are trained. Mm -hmm. So whether that's you're a vet tech and you're helping prepare a dog for euthanasia or you're a dog trainer and you're helping someone through the decision of whether or not they're going to rehome a pet or euthanize a pet or, you know, discussing some of these issues on a bigger level that you don't have to take on the whole problem of what, what is beyond the part for which you were trained and that by offering these resources and other support, you're acknowledging that this is absolutely real, completely valid, mm. totally normal, and a little beyond my scope. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be, I think, empowering at times because what I've encountered with, with so many people that I have been coaching and working with in the community is that we lose sleep. We rehash conversations in our head. What if I could have done this differently? What if I had said that differently? Would they have felt better, felt less sad, carried less um, heartbreak? Any of those things, because we are wired to connect. We do care. Yeah. But it's a, it's a really tough load for so many pet professionals. And, and we know the turnover rate in the careers is very, very high because people are struggling with the emotional load. Yeah. And I think of that as a pet professional where the purpose of the role itself is to help the animals and the inherent hope is that it's help them live and help them thrive. And so then there becomes a whole different space around what does death and dying look like and how, when that's part of our identity to help someone, yeah, you know, where do we kind of, yeah, how do we fit helping someone through that part of living mm-hmm. that I think can be really hard to not feel like as a professional that you've failed in some way or that you've let them down. And I think there's also the dynamic of you can give the best care you can give. Sometimes the disease wins, whatever that is. And there's also a financial reality for people is. that is a big part of being able to continue care or access care. And I think pet professionals end up in a really difficult situation of needing to be the like communicators about some of the financial realities and then dealing with, you know, where people are at financially, if they can do that or not, or feel able to do that and kind of all that that can churn up in a lot of difficult. That churns up a lot. I've, I've had many conversations with people about that because I've had, I've had some people who are frustrated because they know they could have saved the animal if only the resources had been available, financial resources had been available. And then I've had people talk about how they really earn very little in their roles as pet professionals. And so they completely understand the client just losing it and that they would love to be able to pay. And they think it's worth what the cost is. Yeah. They don't have it. They don't have that money. Yeah. Um, And then life and death decisions are being made based on money. And that's a real tough thing. Yeah. A flip side of this is that I think in some ways we navigate death a little bit better with some of our pets than we do with humans. Mm. That we sometimes look a little bit more on what is compassionate and what is quality of life. And yeah. And from the human perspective, I think 
I have a nephew who's in med school. He's well, no, he's not in med school. He's a resident. I get my words confused. He'll be appalled. Um, you know, but, but that he is working in the ICU of Duke medical mm-hmm. center. And so the people there are very, very ill and a lot of them don't survive. And he said like the last weeks and months can be horrible, <laughs> horrible. And that for our pets frequently, we are we are able to weigh the, how can I give you a good last, last little bit, whatever that bit is, even if it's a shorter bit, how can I make this a beautiful shorter bit? Um, Because we will all die. Mm -hmm. Our pets will die and our human loved ones will die and we ourselves will die. And the more we can try to make that a normal piece of and an experience and make it, as positive as possible. Yeah. Yeah. There's value there. Yeah. And kind of like you said, it kind of is beautiful and comforting and focused on it being a reflection of the love that we have. Yeah. This is, yeah. It's kind of like the final act of caring that mm-hmm. can relieve pain, even as it then asks us to take on more pain. Yeah. By providing that care. And yeah. A dog trainer said to me, I really enjoyed the love, the, the experience. So I won't begrudge the grief, you know? And, and, and so she's like, when she feels it, she just leans in and goes, yeah. you know, this was an awesome relationship that yeah. gave me so much. And so it just makes me teary, yes. but the whole piece of like that we, we don't want that grief. We, you know, yeah. no, no, no. But the only reason we have it is because there was something yeah. there worth grieving. Yep. The depth of the bond will be the depth of the grief. Yeah. But yeah. Kind of the other, yeah, the other side of the coin of loving so deeply. And I think with our animals, we love deeply in a way that that is it's just different than any human relationship no we have. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There really there's a pureness to it. And uh Yeah. We we drop all of those, you yeah. know, emotional barriers and then we're like, yeah. Oh my gosh, they snuck in there. That was bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Literally <laughs> wiggled their way in. <laughs> well, this has been um a very interesting conversation about grief and it is a difficult topic. So I'm really grateful to have someone to to talk to about it because I think this is one of the biggest challenges that pet professionals face. Yeah that there's so much grief. Yeah. What do we do with it? Yeah. And the toughen up, stuff it down philosophies don't don't work. Yeah. And that is unfortunately what so many people are trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if people want to learn more about you and your work, how could they do that? Yeah, feel free to check out my website. I have some resources, information on there, and it's an easy way to contact me, just kristenbuller.com. And I'll also, yeah, there's a couple of different grief books that I found really helpful and had other people talk about. Um, there's one by another veterinary social worker, Enid Transden, that's called um, The Pet Loss. I'll have to look at the title to make sure I get it right, but it's a, um, The Pet Remembrance Journal, I think is the title. And it's part memory book, part grief workbook, specifically mm-hmm. around pet law. So that can be a nice space if you're trying to kind of work through some things on your own, especially if it feels like there's things I don't want to forget, but also there's a way I want to kind of be able to journal through things. 
there's another grief book I just finished reading called It's Okay That You're Not Okay. That's yeah. about grief in general. And I read it thinking of my pet loss folks and found it to really resonate, I think, with what people are going through. And so that's another one that's out there right now. And I think just finding community, finding other people who are going through grief in real time at the same time as you, there's a way that you're able to support each other and hear each other that's just different than even the people around you in your orbit might be. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for pet professionals to find support, both to be able to give to your clients or the people that you're helping, but also to know that if you need your own support through that, you know, to resource, even if it's those same professionals for yourself or your staff or within veterinary social work, there's something called um, rounds where sometimes a veterinary social worker will come into a practice and just do kind of a deep brief group or a decompressing around, especially if there's been a more difficult, you know, and kind of knowing that there's options as professionals for processing your feelings as well and that you don't just have to be the helper, but you can also be cared for yourself because it is a lot. It is. It really is. And I think you've shared a lot of very helpful information today, Chris. And I'll make sure we link everything in the show notes so that people can find those books and resources. Very, very helpful. Thank you so much for coming on Unleashed today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. Are you looking for ways to feel better fast and make it last? Do you want more actionable ideas and strategies? Would you like to connect with other amazing pet professionals who care about helping animals and creating healthy, fun work cultures? If so, you are going to love the Unleashed Resilience community. Visit ColleenPilar.com community for more information. I can't wait to see you there.